welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. This is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on backend technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. With that said, let's get on the show. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, and welcome to the Backend Engineering Show Live. How are you guys doing? It's fine Saturday. How are you guys doing? How is everybody doing? Let's get this show started. It's 7 a.m. in the morning here in California. Very, very, very cold oh wrong scene chat yo Tarak. what is going on everybody how's everybody doing this fine morning Jeez, we're starting out with tough questions already Sir, what is the use of a strategy proxy and how does it work? <sighs> Never heard of a strategy proxy. Is that proxy that uses the strategy design pattern? I need to imagine that. What up, CB? What is everybody doing? How is everybody doing? John, how do you scale to like 5 million per minute for a spike every now and then? a right heavy app i like these kind of questions where it's very specific right because you can't say hey i want to scale to 700 million requests right what does that mean right is it is it reads is it is it like light reads is it olap reads right analytical reads because a read could be a query that take two milliseconds to execute but also a read could also mean an analytical report or a query on a billion row table that has to take a minute to execute. So balancing those requirements so you know uh, have a say consistent and deterministic that's the word I'm looking for deterministic predictable right results you need to segregate as much as possible 
if you're saying I want to scale my application to million users, we have to ask the question, who are your users? What is your application? I know this, obviously we cannot do this live show, but we can tease apart what does that mean? And based on that, you can definitely scale your application. For the right load, again, we ask this question. Ooh, catching my breath, guys. Sorry. I was like running out, uh, down the stairs with my dog playing early. I know, I'm an early riser. So, yeah, so the right, uh, right loads usually depends on the application that does a write to a database, right? And you can scale that in so many ways, right? First of all, what does your app do? when it writes to the database? Is it a simple row insert? Or is it a transactional multi-table writes, essentially? We're touching multiple tables. Not just that, we're actually processing, we're reading and writing at the same time to perform that write, right? Because you can, you can just append a row to the table and that's fastest thing possible. You have that row, you can append it to the table, even if that table has a trillion row, that insert always consistent and always fast. We know that. There are some limitations, some, um, let's say, side effects where based on the database you use that might change that behavior. Let's say inserting that row uh, must update multiple indexes because you have a lot of indexes in this row, right? And if those indexes are in general large in size because you have a large table, then the time it takes to update those indexes will suffer as a result. And uh, this now comes down to the type of the index itself right that's why people prefer like uh, not sorry i take that back b trees versus lsm trees right b tree is as a type of a data structure that you can store in your index and then the values that you insert will be balanced uh on that tree essentially so if you insert the value of 7, we'll look at the root. says, okay, the root is 10. 7 should always go to the left. The new value is, let's say, 11. Then should go to the right, right? And start balancing this tree. All right. You'll reach a point in your B3 structure where it has to be rebalanced because otherwise everything will go this way, right? <laughs> so by triggering a rebalance of the tree, some nodes will become root and everything will shift essentially. And that rebalancing is what cause an update. So you're doing an insert, which is fast, but that triggered an update to the index, right? Because we need to update that index, which is usually, if you're lucky, it's always an insert to the leaf node. But if that leaf node that you inserted in your index 
happened to be uh, happened to be triggering that rebalance, then that whole index will need to update itself uh, to the new structure, and that causes an update, right, to to a, a, a specific location and disk, right. SSDs do not like that, right? SSDs do not like to go to a specific seeking, seeking to a specific place and writing to the same location. It loves to insert new stuff, right? If you're inserting new stuff, go for it. Updates, whether updates to the database itself or to the index, they don't like that. If you're doing so many rebalancing to this tree, then you start shaking. The SSD lifetime will, will deteriorate with them. I'm talking about Facebook now and Google scale. I'm not talking about uh, Jenny's donut shop, right? That she has a website with MySQL, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about huge ass scale. Sweet. So that kind of, that's, that's why Google invented uh, something called the LSM, the log structure merge tree as an index structure to avoid this re well it, there is a rebalance still but the 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 the, the tree is rebalancing itself by inserting always a new row this always emerge the logs and always inserts new stuff it never updates existing structures because we ssds for the solid state drives we try to avoid updates as much as possible that's the trick so the right heavy question <laughs> it took us a long time to answer but the ugliest answer that I could give, and I hate that answer, is really it depends. <clears throat> Sing, your content is real treasure. Thank you, Sing. Hello from Jerusalem. Adim. Thank you, Adim. Adim says hi. Because I, I don't know how to translate that. <laughs> maybe god bless you i guess that's the closest one god gives you health uh raj need some advice i am working as a full stack developer but most of my work assigned to me as a front end um that is that is the nature of a full stack developer companies especially new companies will hire for a full stack developer so they can switch you over to any uh whatever they have work right say if they have work from the front end they don't want to hire a dedicated front end engineer or the dedicated back engineer or dedicated infrastructure engineer they are just a full stack engineer so you can fit everywhere so take this as a good opportunity in my opinion and yeah today they have front end work so they that's why they assign you a front end work but that does not mean you're stuck so that's that's another advice I, I tell people. One of the things that employers do not like or pick upon, and we interview, I I, interview, I do a lot of interviews yearly, right? And what the things that we look for in an interview, maybe I shouldn't supposed to say that, but sure, let's, let's say that. I guess it's public knowledge now. What we look for 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 a candidate is. And we ask questions to kind of extract that without you knowing. But this is the gist of it. If your 
uh, we ask you a question to to detect and and find out whether you are the kind of a guy or a gal that waits for instructions uh, to execute certain tasks versus you actually digging up work and finding ways to improve the company right and that's I, I see this a pattern especially for junior people who just started right it's like they, they're waiting for some hey tell us what to do right? and, and and that's not bad necessarily i i what i want engineers to to switch from this state uh, where they are given what to do to actually finding problems in the company because why would company hire you a company would hire you because it knows it has certain limitation right and 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 that limitation they need smart engineers to identify those limitations so that they can essentially fix them identify them and improve the company as a whole right because if the company know what it wants it will hire for specific roles and says okay just do this thing right otherwise our jobs as engineers will be automated for the the future right our will be already automated we are there for creative we are not different as engineers we're no different than artists musicians painters uh, poets i put us in the same category as engineers and and this might come as a shock to some of you because i look at my art as as uh, engineering as an art it's art i've been saying this for since 2008 i always say that and some people make fun of me says that no this is a job I mean, yeah, maybe if you don't have the soul for it, if you don't feel it, then maybe that's right. But always, so back to Roger's question, Raj says, hey, I, I am full stack engineering, but all of being assigned is front end. Don't let that stop you. You should have access to the code in the back end. If you're on the front end, that's the best way to become a good back end engineer is to be a front end engineer, in my opinion right because you are the number one consumer of the back one back one <laughs> you are the number one consumer of the back end so you know the requirements you know the bottleneck and if you just step out of that shell that you have as a front end engineer which you have a lot of work don't get me wrong front end engineer there's so much stuff you guys do in the front end whether this is web or mobile but once you step that in, into a client-server architecture where you're making calls to a backend, then you think about it, you are the main consumer to the backend. You can improve it. You can identify the flaws and go back to your manager or boss or lead and say, yo, yo lead, what up? This is what I saw. I saw that your backend sucks, man. Backing sucks. Your videos are funnier at 2x. I know some other people say I, I speak slowly, but I disagree. I try because I try to stay calm. I know you guys, uh, I mean, uh, younger folks like to everything like fast and stuff, but I'm a boomer, not really a million.
Do you like garlic? Jeez, okay. We're going there. Alright, I love garlic. My favorite garlic sauce is that uh, Papa John's sauce, the Papa John's. And you can dip it in everything and it will taste delicious. I love garlic. Put garlic in everything. I put garlic in ice cream. Kidding. But I've saw, I saw an ice cream with garlic. Loads of love from Pakistan. All the love out of Pakistan. You are a great teacher. Thank you, Adolf. Um, Himo Kumar, Himant, Himant Kumar says, Hi, Hassan. Can you please talk a little about distributed tracing? Why is it being discussed a little more now? Why is it not there earlier? Here's the thing. There's something called hype. What a lot of hype, right? And and we always see this hype in technology. Whether this is a valid hype or or over overhyped, right? It's a hype, nevertheless, right? So the idea of having distributed tracing is has emerged as a result of microservices, right? Here's the thing, guys. And I'm I'm not saying that it, the the use case is not valid. I'm just saying that. Here's the thing. We had, for the longest time, we had one application. I'm talking about the back end here. And components of this monolithic application were represented as libraries, right? Whether DLLs or, or other kind of libraries. And those components talk to each other by uh, dynamically linking at runtime. So that means... And I and I have a Microsoft experience with so C sharp. You build a library as a DLL file, dynamic link library, and then you reference it in your application as a library. And then all of a sudden you have access to methods in this library, and you can call methods in that library. And all of that is done in the same operating system, in the same. What am I doing? What's this? What's this? I don't know what's this. All, all of what you're doing is basically you, you're, you're calling that method, right? That call is it's in the same operating system. It's the same machine, right? So if you want to set logs, logging, that's easy, right? Because you can, if you want to debug something, you step in, you add, you add a, a breakpoint, and then you just follow the breakpoint. And if that breakpoint, if, if the method jump to the other library that's fine because you link it in your code and as long as you brought the symbols with you you can jump to the other library and then start debugging the method you can jump in like in and out easily right that's how you debug different application but so that debugging was easier i guess until we decided to break down these monolith into smaller components that work across the network right so now if i am if i my my library is now across the network that that executes my work now i have to open a connection whether this is regardless of the protocol rpc or on top of tcp or grpc regardless right i am about to send a request or 
to, to execute that method. Now it goes through the wire. How the heck are you going to debug that? It's a different machine. It's a different service. You're no longer able to debug the application as a whole. So that's a flaw in the microservice architecture. In a nutshell, distributed tracing came in to track a single request across these different microservices to essentially debug them, not just during development, but even afterwards. And what exactly happened afterwards? I mean, for the longest time in, the, in a monolith, you have logs, right? You can just write to disk or write to that log to a disk or a shared drive or somewhere, an event, and in that machine, you'll go to that machine and you see the logs very clearly, right? It's like, here's, here's what happened because it's in, it's in the same machine. You clearly know what happened. And there are tools, obviously, to write these logs in a distributed manner and in a centralized database so you can read the logs, right? Centralized manner, right? That uh, distributed tracing essentially tags every request with a unique ID that can be traced across all the services. Hope that helps. So that's distributed tracing. So it's a, it's a valid use case. But only if you have microservices, in my opinion. So that's that's the slippery slope that people run into, right? People get hyped because, oh, there's this shiny thing that's called microservices. Let me jump into it. And they don't know, oh, it's not all of a sudden my applications are so tiny and clean. Clean. They throw this word a little cleaner, right? Now, cleany, all this clean stuff that you did, all, be, all of a sudden becomes dirty because you had to add a service mesh to track your stuff. You have to add a, a central data plane so so these services can authenticate itself. Oh, this service cannot call this service because it's a shady service. All of a sudden, because you have networking, you have to authenticate this stuff. You have to secure because some 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 people might sniff in the middle. You don't have any of these problems in a monolith. Nobody can s- sneak into your memory and read method call, right? Unless you have a buffer overflow. But Sometimes, man. Sometimes I think I think we just overcomplicate our stuff. Again, if everything is managed for us as engineers, that's great. But that's back to me. I like to understand everything. Using ORM or running raw queries. Baron asks. Oh, you. I think you know what I'm gonna answer, right? I don't like to use libraries that does the stuff that i already know how to do right especially if this libraries try to be smart as um too clever by half right orms object creation and models try to do so much stuff and simplifies nevertheless simplifies stuff however that is a slippery slope and i and i i try to warn people about this stuff a lot of people use stuff to simplify their workflows but as a result, we, I don't like to say this, but we produce very weak engineering, right? Because now, oh, you just, just slap tools together. Now, what is the difference between you and a robot that can do? Because if, if, if I can have a robot or an AI can just slam these tools together, right? The power of a true real engineer is to understand the underlining technology behind all of this stuff that makes you invaluable nobody can get rid of you as a result it becomes you become really 
adept about how these things work. So I personally like to use raw queries because I'm going to configure my queries and indexes and all that stuff so that it performs the best to my use case. Again, I'm not saying ORMs are bad. There are use cases to use these tools as long as you have the underlining knowledge of how this stuff works. I say the same thing about React. I say the same thing about ORM. I say the same thing about Socket.io. Use these tools, but do not, I repeat, do not use these tools if you do not know how it works. Should I learn microservices? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very popular thing. And, and it's not, not, here's the thing, guys. I'm not saying do not learn. Of course, you have to learn. You can learn anything. It's anything you're learning, you're not, no time is wasted because you're going to gain knowledge that essentially adds to your belt, right? I don't know, guys, if you agree with that statement or not, but that's essentially my, my opinion. A lot of people say, hey, no, I just, uh, in this case, I, I just use a, a language and it does everything for me. Why should I know how it works, right? And, and the people who argue, argue with me, so it's like, oh, in this case, just go and program in assembly, right? Like, they are taking this so far, you know, it's just in a ridiculous level. It's like, yeah, of course, I'm going to code in C and C plus a higher level language, right? And yeah, true. I do not understand how assembly works technically, but maybe I should, right? As a CPU in general, how does this language work in this CPU versus this CPU, right? This, this is a knowledge that I'm lacking, but I admit that I'm lacking. So if I'm using JavaScript, I absolutely know how JavaScript works, right? I know it's a single threaded. I know it does asynchronous jobs. I know the event mo model. And I know if I pick it on top of C sharp, I know what I put myself into. So a language that sits on top of JavaScript does not make sense to me, such as TypeScript, right? Why? Oh, yeah, I picked JavaScript because I don't want, I settled for a dynamically typed language and a single threaded language. And I'm happy with that decision that I made. Now, a lot of people pick TypeScript that redoes exactly what JavaScript was born to do. It was simple language. We added static typing on top of it. Well, why don't you just program in C++ and C Sharp? Because that was the language. We moved to a dynamic because we want a simpler way and we designed it to do certain things. I understand JavaScript evolves, the language evolves. Obviously, you have to build and TypeScript is popular, but... Again, that's just an unpopular opinion from me. And again, TypeScript is being used in my company, and I and I try to have this argument with people, but I've been shut down all the time. <laughs> Obviously, because uh, at, at the end, yes, TypeScript definitely is way better than JavaScript, right? But if you know JavaScript, then why? What? What value does does TypeScript give you other than static analysis? I heard that people are with problems all the time with TypeScript. So you just added another layer of complexity. That's what I don't like. Adding ORM, we, we're talking about ORM and raw queries for those who are listening, watching. Talking about ORM, 
and then graph queries and i said oh i don't like to use a higher level if i understand how to use the the bare metal right and we talked about the javascript the same thing right javascript and typescript almost it's the same thing in my opinion right that's why people are moving to wasm and WebAssembly in this case but yeah because you can't run c++ on the web well you can right with the WebAssembly now WebAssembly, you can compile your C++ as a WASM, then run it there, right? So, yeah, you're right, Chris, right? Chris, Chris has a good point, right? So, like, oh, yeah, I couldn't run C++. We needed something, and we need that. So, it's always like a race. What, what, where are we trying to go? And, again, guys, anything I say, obviously, could be wrong. It's, it's a personal opinion, personal preface. Don't need to take it personally or anything like that, right? It's just we're discussing, we're having a discussion as a backend engineer. I might be wrong, and I've been wrong so many times in this channel, and you guys called me out on it, so I'd love to learn. So, the invention of TypeScript in 2012, where WASM was not invented, right? Back then, I believe. Right? So, TypeScript, Microsoft saw a need for the JavaScript flaws, right? Which is, which is the static analysis and problems people run. So they invented TypeScript, right? which sits on top of JavaScript. And now, it uses JavaScript, compiles down to JavaScript, and it solves a lot of problems, and people are happy, and you saw the rise of TypeScript, right? That just blew up. Same thing with JavaScript in mid-2000, right? So now, Wasm came in and actually solved the main problem that TypeScript solves. So I don't know if TypeScript will live. Maybe it will just, there will be an inertia, a technological inertia that will keep it alive. But good, it's a good language. It's, a, it's great. Uh, yeah, that's that. Uh, let's leave it at that with TypeScript. Uh, Rails. I have not programmed for Rails at all, but I know Twitter runs on Rails. TypeScript have huge advantage of making working in team much simpler, 100%. Yes, I agree with you, Emil. Elixir. Elixir. That's what uh, WhatsApp is on. No, it's Erlang, sorry. Erlang is... WhatsApp is written on Erlang. Erlang, we talked about that a little bit, right, guys? It's really, really good. It's a really good language. The ability to replace code in runtime, it's really, really popular. All right. We have. We have. How are you guys doing? Do you like the show? If you like the show, hit that like button. And subscribe, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss this stuff. We do this uh, live streams weekly, Saturdays, 7 a.m. PST, very early here in California, very cold too. Anil asks, can you talk about stored SQL stored procedure, please? Sure. So a database can be queried uh, in multiple ways. The first way is to establish a connection from a client that understands how to speak the database language. And that language is basically not necessarily the SQL, SQL, 
it is the protocol itself, which is the TCP on top of TCP, right? Whatever that protocol is used. So if you have a client that understand how to make this communication with the database, then you can communicate with that and then send a query to execute a stateless, almost a stateless query, right? And then return a result. The other way is to make that stateful and start a transaction, right? And then execute multiple queries and then commit or roll back if this the things went wrong. Right? That's a stateful transactional query. And then you can roll back. And the third approach is to create what, what is called a database cursor. So the cursor exists on the database. You say, hey, execute this query, but don't give me the results. Just create a cursor and let cursor, cursor, my God, English is hard. And my accent is thick. So excuse me, guys, as I navigate in English, as I, as I navigate Egoga, Egoga, difficile. I just mixed French and my God. So the third approach is the, the client executes a query and tells the database to create a cursor. That means it just sits as a server-side cursor, essentially, right? That sits on the database and then waits for instructions from the client to fetch the result. You might have seen this in the when you do a trace analysis, right? You're saying, okay, execute, and there is a fetch. Fetch actually tells the cursor to go and prepare and pull the rows from the heap and then give it back, essentially, right? And it's very popular for paging, right? When you want, like, you, you don't want the database to actually bring all this 100 million rows, right, to the client. And I'm talking about the client. Here is the back end, right? Back end, which makes the queries. You don't want the client to make all these queries and bring it, bring it to the back end. And then the back end just processes all this junk right so you want to tease apart that stuff cursors are great the final thing is the question and he'll ask is a store procedure where you compile the query in the database itself instead of sending it across the wire and you as a client say hey database there is a store procedure or a function called test Please execute that. That's it. That's what you say. And you give it some parameters option. The database will go and say, okay, there's the query, and then execute the query and then return the result. The advantage of that is the client no longer need to worry about the query itself. So if the query changes, you go to the database and change it, and all of the clients sees the thing. Guys, we'll be back in a minute. My, uh, my dog is crying for some reason i need to see what what's wrong with him <laughs> we'll be right back after this short break stay tuned all right we are bacco bacco this we are bacco bacco this Did you ever use Rusto? 
I have not. It's my on my list of languages to try. Just there's no much time to do anything. Like I, I, I look at certain amount of hours for this channel and, and that includes learning, the studying, researching, talking about news. That is just um, essentially takes time. So and to me, if I know how to program in a language, I don't see value in learning new languages unless it gives me huge, huge advantage, right? So especially at my age, right? There is no requirement for me to learn a language because I can pick any language in a way, right? As a syntax. And then it takes time to understand the intricacies of that language itself. I see Lenny and Oto is answering questions. That's good. Mayanak Ulla asks how to extract millions of rows from a database without putting loads in it. I tried batching, but the thought of running a query in loop sickens me. There must be a better approach to this. So you'll ask yourself, extracting millions of rows from a database, if this is a one-time thing, and I God hope to God this is a one-time thing because that doesn't make any sense if it's something that you're doing daily, right? Because I, I don't know why would you do this daily, extracting millions of But if you are doing this on, on certain batches, right? And it's a one-time event you get, then it doesn't matter, right? There is no other way to extract or, or transform this data other than querying it, right? And slowly paging this millions of rows and putting in another row, uh, another database. Does that think about how how else would you do it, right? Again, you you have to tease apart what what is the purpose of this. Usually. Normal application don't process millions of rows out of the thin air, right? There is a reason for that. And if you try to avoid that, that's the best approach. But if you want to do an ETL, then that's a tool that you build and you run it and it takes days and that's it, you're done. We know it's going to take a long time. The other approach is to speed up that process by doing parallel execution. Right. Okay. Of course, one client reading from this database is going to take time, so I'm going to spin up multiple clients and divide the work. And there are tools that do that. How to get better with SQL and schema design in Postgres? Uh, Varun asks. How to get better and design SQL with Postgres? Well, Postgres is a beast. I mean, I've been using Postgres for. Eh, not as much as other databases, for I would say six years maybe. And I still, to this day, I'm learning new things with Postgres. It's just a big database. So that continuous thing, so you have to put in your mind that the learning will be, uh, will be continuous, right? You're not going to stop learning about Postgres because there is no... Uh, 
it's being developed on daily basis. People maintaining the Postgres project are adding stuff to that project every single day, right? So it's going to take time. The second approach to help learn this is to actually have use cases. And I tried, guys, I tried this. You cannot learn a project without a use case. It's, it's very, very hard. You can't say, hey, I studied Postgres by reading the doc. Doesn't, doesn't work. The only way to learn Postgres or any database or any technology for that matter is actually to put it in test. And how do you put it in test? You have no idea. You have to work for someone or a company. Then that company will have use cases. And based on what you read, you say, oh, Postgres might help for this because there's something called this. You start putting two and two together and you start implementing that use case into the technology itself, which is the Postgres, right? And then once you start implementing, you run into all sorts of trouble because you have in your mind, you want to do something, right? And if Postgres or any technology might, it might bend with your will or it might not. It was just like, hey, there is this limit. Oh, you cannot do this because of this. You cannot do this because of this. You'll start going this. But if you just say, hey, I'm going to try a Postgres and you just, I don't know, you do a Hello World or query execution or even replication for that matter. If you don't have a use case behind it, it just, you will just do the tutorial. Just do, you do the first thing that comes to your mind and then you, you're going to stop. It says, yeah, okay, I did replication. But the use case drives the technology and the technology will morph based on the use case or the record. So yeah, find uh, try from the company itself to find these use cases. Very very. Do you know a good resource for learning Postgres? The doc is the best resource. And there's a there's a blog called uh, Use the Index. Luke, I believe. This guy, man, he's a god. Xing and stuff like that. Tips on partitioning MySQL table. Ooh, okay, I think I made a video about that. Might be a uh, members only. It's in my database engineering Udemy course. But essentially, partitioning... Partitioning is one of the... uh, very interesting things that you you do in a database, and it gives you it gives you a lot of um, performance benefits for large tables, and and all it's almost for free, right? Because uh, because the way the client is interacting with this partition is agnostic; it doesn't know that the client was executing the query. It doesn't know about partitions. It'll just query the table. And the database knows about this partition and will just query, uh, split that. So in that video, I talked about the best practices of doing that. You split that, what kind of queries, right? Some queries, uh, because it's, it comes multiple tables, right? So multiple tables mean multiple places, means multiple queries technically. So more work, more indexes. Think about all that stuff. Not. It comes back to all the discussion where you should really know what you're using, right? 
just using partitions and you know oh this is partitioning it breaks down tables and if you have a large table it breaks it into multiple tables but what's the implication for that if you understand how this works and you execute a query that is terrible could be actually slower in partitioned than the monolithic table because your query happened to inefficiently scanning all the partitions anyway because what makes partitioning good the, the idea of partitioning is you execute a query and from the query we detect a key that hints to which partition to hints the database to access the partition that it actually need and not everything and once it gets that hint it, it will efficiently hit that partition and that partition is always smaller, so the query is always going to be faster. Okay? But if that key is missing, or there are additional uh, predicates that exist in this uh, query that kind of negate the idea of a key, I don't know, you're, you're querying on something else, then the Davis will say, I don't know what to do. I mean, he's not querying on the key, so... I gotta go scan all the partitions to find this dang thing that he's searching for. So, right. So when you partition, you partition on a key. So the queries will only be efficient when you actually use that key. Postgres is smart enough. It knows sometimes that, yeah, I, I think it can derive from the query that even if there is other parameter, it knows that, mm, like, for example, if it's an and, a key and something, that's beautiful because and means well if it's and that means it has to have this key so it's only this partition well if it's or this key or i don't know date of birth which date of birth is not partition then you just screwed yourself because or means oh i have to do this or this i have no idea this guy means he he wants anything right so he's just like or she wants anything so i go scanning all the partitions Django with React. How the combinations? I don't know anything about those two. Sorry. I know a little bit of Django, but React. Nothing. Which is the best certification according to you? Your prediction on the on industry in 2020. I know the cloud will get more and more popular. That's for sure. Um that's a good question. Predictions for 2021. I mean, it's hard to make predictions. Awesome. I mean, and try to make speculation, but I'm seeing the market of the cloud is increasing really rapidly. The idea of having databases in the cloud, <laughs> the problem with databases in the cloud, is, I mean, you've seen the news that I've been covering, right? All these Postgres instances that have been hijacked because they put it on uh, on public ports and make it available for everyone to query. That's um, the idea here becomes, um, yeah, the cloud made us really, like made us really sloppy engineers, right? Like we, we, we became sloppy with the cloud because a cloud naturally does a lot of stuff for us, right? And, 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 nature of ease with the cloud kind of 
kind of puts it in ease like okay oh i can do all this stuff but we don't understand that what work how things actually work on premise that we, we're going to put it on the cloud we think it's we're good no there's still security risk at cloud. So that's why engineers are paid more and more to be experts in what they do not just deploy you should know i know what i preach here is not popular right a lot of people say oh use this and use this uh, everything beautiful and use it and that done use netfly netfly is good build your application done and 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 for for an end user i might actually use cloudflare to to deploy my website why because i actually exactly understand how it works jamstack all that jazz i understand how they built it and Netlify, the way I, I I tried to Netlify a little bit, and I saw it, it's it's genius that how they did it. And uh, uh, if you think about it, the idea of de- deploying encryption, uh, cert- uh, deploying a certificate immediately for you, it's is genius, right? With the C name and how they you can point your domain to their, uh, essentially to their subdomain and that all of a sudden you have a website very quickly i i spin up my website really quickly with Netlify, and cloudflare came up with this feature so if i want to save time to deploy a simple static website i'm gonna use this i'm not gonna write my whole stack from scratch which kind of contradicts what i was saying but what i'm building i understand how it works i understand the whole stack right so there is a flaw I know what what kind of things that Cloudflare is doing. I know by doing that, Cloudflare is actually copying, have full access to my content and copying it across all the edges. If you ask people, people don't know that this is happening, by the way. Like, are you okay with Netlify copying your content? Some people say, oh, I didn't know that they were doing that. I was copying my GitHub. No, they have full access to your shit understand this stuff again guys understand how stuff works we want that bug to be- <laughs> a lot of people want the book tour oh my. guys these are books from 20 years ago what do you want to see in them all right let's do a book what f- This this book is this book. This is one of my greatest. It's called "The Zen and the Art of Systems Analysis" by Patrick McDormand. Right, and this book, my God, doesn't have technical stuff, right? But it. It changes your thinking to essentially make you connection with the work that you're putting for the system and with the design you're building. And if you have that connection with your your work, you become essentially an artist and you appreciate everything you see. So if I I look at Cloudflare and I look at Netlify, I look at 
Kubernetes and I see the art behind the work and I really appreciate I don't just use it I absolutely appreciate these kind of things right this is a good book I I don't recommend you just buying it and just look it up in Amazon I I, I read books weird books like this I'll, I'll just this is another book This is a new book. And uh, disclaimer, O'Reilly reached out to me to review this book. Well, they paid me to review this book, right? They're not paying me to view and share this book for you, right? They just paid me to review it. So my name is actually in the book as a viewer, right? This book really good not saying it just because i review it because it took a couple of times and and i wrote a lengthy review for o'reilly if you're using nginx this book will give you a recipe it's not going to teach you how nginx work let's be honest it's going to teach you how to apply different methods to implement nginx whether it's a cloud security uh, i forgot so much stuff they go through uh, load balancing how to deploy htt2 how to do, deploy it on a different operating system and what i don't what i didn't like about the book and I, of course i'm going to say that is a lot of examples are from the paid version which is nginx uh, plus and i i did criticize that as well right so they know about this they, they're fine with that but a lot of example are these examples that are being are are nginx plus not nginx free so you get the book and you don't have nginx plus you might not take use for it unless you purchase that nginx plus but so that's another kind of a thing obviously o'reilly is not paying me to promote this book or anything like that i just merely reviewed it Right, so that's a, I recommend that if you was in Genex, this is a good book to have it by your side. Say, so, okay, how do I do this? How do I do this? So it's like there is a lot of really. It it just was released December twenty twenty. This is was just just released, literally really. So check it out. And the author is absolutely sweetheart, Derek Dijonga, and the book name is. Nginx Cookbook, Advanced Recipes for High Performance Load Balancing. What else? What else would we... What else would, you, would I share with you? Something other than... Ah. This is my favorite book. Present, presentation Zen. I don't think uh, this is the second book, Presentation Zen. So, guys, Presentation Zen, this guy, uh, Gar Reland, Presentation Zen, to how to present your ideas. And, and I think that part of this is what made me good presenting and, and talking. Obviously, I still suck, but I think I can improve. But this book showed me the skill set of how to uh, present your idea in a very succinct manner and 
to get to the point immediately to remove the clutter of stuff that you don't need to show because engineers always us like well like oh i need to show this i need to show this i need to show them about this i need to tell them about this i need to tell them about all this stuff right another good book <laughs> you can see a pattern right guys you can see a pattern uh, I'm, I'm into zen and japan and programming stuff like that and art Zen of Programming, Jeffrey James. That's a lot. I love this book a lot. So, and there are some technical books there. There are some my own books. Uh, I wrote four books for you who don't know. I wrote four books on five books actually. For mostly uh, on my may uh, and my specialties, geographic information system. So all my books are about GIS, right? But in this channel, I never talk about GIS, so it doesn't conflict of interest with my current employer which is israel so i don't talk about gis at all design pattern good stuff there assembly language that's my textbook from uh, some, some of the stuff i i never read like i read in 2001 and they are still there right was well, you spend so much time with this sucker yomil distilled third edition it's 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 not a good book by the way martin fowler i'm sorry this is not a good book, right? I, I criticize Martin Fowler for this book, or UML, right? Because I cried back in 2005 when I read this and I want to do my stinking UML and he doesn't have enough examples. So I, I, didn't, don't, I did not like this book, right? It's very distilled. There is no, uh, there is no detailed that I wanted. Obviously, UML is not what else, guys? What else, guys? What else? PHP, Steve Jobs, obviously. My Bleach collection, my video trilogy. This is one. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Seth Godin. This guy is a marketeer, but this is one of the first books I read into. I started reading it. <laughs> I read. I recently started reading. So the Purple Cow. Um, it's not an engineering book, but it will tell you how how uh, to make a product that stands out. Right. So the idea of being remarkable, essentially, is distilled on the front page. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I guess. Uh, I, I I I am too harsh on Martin. Martin, I like Martin. Martin Fowler is is one of those technology and computer scientists that says, okay, if if something, if some he 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 called out Jason as a fashion choice. I remember, that. and I kind of agree with him because he's like XML. I was like, that was like a long time presentation between XML and Jason. Like when people started moving to Jason, right? I was like. This is so fashion choice. And and I had to agree with them. Like because the parsing cost of JSON is not any better than XML. I mean slightly better. But you think about it, XML is more readable than JSON. I guess. And then we came up with the YAML. Everything just screwed up. Stupid YAML. I hate YAML. 
and try to take. I will judge you. Thank you. I will judge you. I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, my favorite Japanese artist, fighter, Dashi Moto. I have his book right there. Uh, the Book of Five Rings. Just makes you a little bit more zen and pip. Uh, Musashi is another book. Musashi, I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, you can see it. His, his, his biography or autobiography. No, it's biography. No. Design pattern. Art now because of you guys. This book is the most book I ever read in my life. Back in 2004, 2005. God. Tim Ferriss fan? Yes, I like Tim Ferriss. Uh, four hours work week. Yeah. First, when I read that book, it's like it gives you the idea that, oh, you should never work hard. So I didn't really like it. But as once you read it, you actually understand. So Design Pattern, uh, that's a summary of, and with, with full beautiful examples of the actual badass book, which I actually recommend. This book. Design Pachantin. Design Patterns. This is the... The Gang of Four, Eric Gamma, Rich Helm, Raf Johnson, John, the scene designer, and the essentially reusable object in them. So, most of the object oriented design patterns are these collected by those puppies, those guys. Those guys, they, they pull it in this book. But this is a dry read. It's a very dry read. That, that girl that has the design pattern head first, that's better for if you're starting with stuff. It uses Java and stuff like that. So yeah, Tim Ferriss, I like all that. I listen to all that stuff. And uh, do you guys recommend in the chat uh, what other books? Book that got me into what I'm doing right now, into software engineering. I read this when I was, I keep, I don't remember exactly, but I read this when I was maybe 16 years old. That's the first book I ever read about programming, and I implemented that. Learning, programming, and Visual Basic 2. I have this book. My uncle gave it to me when I was 16. And that's how I got into computer science. It changed my life, this book. So I first, obviously, I didn't have Visual Basic 2.0. I have Visual Basic 5, version 5. So there was a lot of changes. And this book was written on top of Windows 3.1. And I had Windows 95, I believe, back then. All right, guys, so I think that's enough with the book. I have to rearrange my library thanks to you. <laughs> Love from India, Akshay. So there was like a good questions here. Uh, look, lots of good questions. Would you kindly talk about backend and Android development? I don't think backend would differ whether you're using Android or iPhone, in my opinion. It's the same exact thing. Uh, there was a good question that I missed. Uh, Gaurav, please answer. What's when to use HTTPS connection pooling? And what are the use cases? So, connection pooling is a very important backend feature. And I hope that is going to die soon. And here's why. So with that, with that said, 
let's let's explain what connection pooling is connection pooling the idea of having a pool of connections that the client can use to send requests on each one of them and the idea of that is because you cannot concurrently send multiple requests on the same tcp connection that's the http 1.1 design and that's the tcp design you cannot send logical requests in parallel in the same tcp connection because the server will has to figure out which request came out because they're going to assemble those packets into what what request means right and the second packet set of packets into the second request and then it has to remember oh you have to send oh i received this request first so i have to respond with this request and if i receive this request first second request i have to respond the second right so the orders start to matter and boy when you start implementing orders when it comes to a logical application things break apart right and you get into things like head of line blocking and stuff like that so what we said okay let's do connection pooling and we do connection pooling in the front end with http 1.1 in the browser we open six tcp connections and if we want to like let's say retrieve a css file an html file a javascript file and an mp4 file we send four requests across four different connections right and i talked about that many times check out my http playlist if you want to learn more in the back end when i receive a request and then wants to connect to a database for example right or any other things right i have the same problem i cannot execute multiple requests on the same connection so i end up either doing open a connection send my request if i receive another request oh this this connection is busy so let me open another connection send that request and if there is a third request oh let me open another request and uh, send open another connection send my request that is slow that is extremely slow why because you're taking the cost of the request itself to open a connection something that is not part of the request itself right the request is asking you to process the result right to actually execute the query but now you're taking time extra time to do this cold start kind of a thing right starting up connections that's bad so what we do in the back end we open 20 30 whatever connections to the database right i know i know your question was about https polling which is a little bit different but it can be fitting with everything but now we start opening these multiple connections obviously they take memory and they are very difficult to manage without a library that's why some more library now take care of pooling right you you take a connection from the pool you execute your query and then you return it to the pool and then you work with this pooling right so that's the idea of connection pooling the new protocols such as http2 on top of https obviously and quick i think it deprecates the idea of connection pooling we have not theoretically speaking i have not seen an implementation of connection pooling as as these protocols right but i take that back actually 
Envoy proxy, if you guys use it, uses HTTP2 on the backend to do the pulling. So it only have one connection. Check out my video on Envoy if you want to learn more. Just type Envoy Hussein. So the backend, they started using HTTP2, which is HTTPS, right? Because HTTP2 has to be secure for uh, protocol ossification reasons. reasons. And then uh, what you can multiplex requests in the same TCP connection uh, by identifying each request with a stream ID, right? And then these streams will be dedicated and you can send this beautiful request. You get back a response and each response will come into its own stream. So you can clearly identify which requests belong to which response and, and so on. Now you can easily uh, multiplex. So HTTPS connection pooling, that's what I explained. And the goal here is to move databases and backends to start using uh, the quick protocol or HTTP. I know database vendors do not like HTTP at all. So they probably going to use the quick protocol to establish this pooling mechanism. And I believe this is going to be a revolutionized technology if implemented right. So someone asked earlier, what do you expect in 2021? I think uh, people start moving to quick a lot and HTTP 3. And not necessarily uh, explicitly moving, oh, I'm using quick. It's going to happen without you knowing. And that's the beauty of HTTP, right? You're still using get and post, but the browsers internally just just know. Just, just knows how, how to switch you. If the backend supports HTTP 3, your client will automatically start using HTTP 3 and, and quick. That's the beauty of using browsers as web applications because you don't have to worry about client libraries like dedicated. Hope you guys are enjoying this back engineering show so far. Hit that like button if you do. And uh, bring in this good, good old great questions. This is great questions. Thank you. Roman says, Thanks to you for your channel. I thought I was single, so so interested in backend engineering. So he's saying, all right, I'm, I thought it was only one interested in backend engineering. Yeah, I, I I am interested in software engineering in general, but I have a specific interest in backend because that's what I work with on a daily basis. So I thought I'd start making more videos on this topics because obviously there is a lot of demand for it. And welcome, guys. Uh, for the new subscribers guys we're blowing up this is insane you know guys right I, I never take anything for granted when i see these numbers look at this we just hit eighty-three thousand subscribers i didn't i didn't even imagine when i had ten thousand subscribers, ten thousand people eighty-two thousand decided that this content is worth it like, let me say it again eighty-three thousand people and and it's increasing it's the idea that i knew something and i kept it for myself for that long is so selfish and this is kind of is gonna turn into come some sort of a motivational speech and i apologize for those who don't like this but i think if you know something right 
if you have a specific skill set in certain uh, niche, it is selfish to keep that for yourself. I think you should share that knowledge with the intent that you want to have some people uh, take advantage of this and help people. And I am blown away by the messages I receive every day that someone got a job because they watch a few videos of my channel because they now understood the fundamentals because that's that's what I lacked 10 years ago. And I realized that and it says, oh shit, I don't understand how things work. And when someone, especially a great engineer, you interview with a great engineer, they tear you to apart and, and, and happened to me. It tore me apart. So it's like, sorry, you don't understand how things work. They they said it to my face. That was like 11 years ago. Like, you know, you don't understand how things work. You're, you're, you're spoiled by, 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 by the, and, 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 and distracted by the, the shell of the technology, but you don't understand how things work because the moment you start pushing me and I just fall apart because I didn't know, understand. So I took it to myself to actually start understanding the fundamentals. And that, when I see these comments now, says, hey, I read this and I watched the TCP video. I watched YouTube, which we take for granted. We take the OSI model for granted as engineers. We say, hey, that's network engineering yucky stuff. No, man, you got to understand this stuff. And it's not really that hard. And I try to take it from a perspective that is as a software engineer myself. And I start to explain it. When you do that, something magical happens. I feel like a Smurf. Magical happened. <laughs> Magical! Welcome to Disneyland! But seriously, all seriously speaking, yeah, Google Incident. Yes, 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 I'm working on it. Yes, Rohit. Thank you so much, guys, for sending me all these links. Yes, 100%. Uh, the Google Incident, I, I need to report on it. So what were I saying? Yeah, thank you so much. So I'll start... Uh, I'm reading the article. It's it's a little bit in the fatty side, which is I don't know what's Arabic is called decima. It's very rich, rich. It's very rich. So I need to dissect it, read it, uh, and 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 uh, start the detailed analysis with you. So, so you guys, if you have certain knowledge, go there, go out there and share it with people. You have no idea how I started this channel because I know it's something called Arc Object, which is a very specific. API in the geographic information system area for my company, which is Isri. And funny enough, they saw my video and they decided to hire me, right? And they saw my books as well. So they flew me away from Bahrain. They gave me a visa. They gave me everything. So I was like, come on, come on, work with us. Because if if you know the basics, if you know... I'll think if you you have no idea how sharing specific knowledge that you might know might help people. Just insane. So be generous and don't don't try to clickbait people. Just show something and look at videos on YouTube and say, "Oh, this is this is getting three hundred million views." Getting three. Get my. I mean, like, like the top programming languages is getting all the views. So 
and you don't see any one of my videos i don't i never make these videos because i don't see a point for it there is no top programming languages at all there's popularity but i don't see a value of making a video like that just to make popular content you know when i see a value of making a video i'll, I'll make a video okay? and but I, what i see in youtube is like always the same content right because that what gets views and, and that frustrates me okay? so don't fall into that trap if you want to start your own channel i think and then um yeah jetin says i had an interview a couple of candidates today i had to interview a couple of candidates today i asked which which i inspire i had i asked a question which inspired from your video oh the video for the back end is that is that it uh thank you that's good uh, I'm, I'm glad and so i mean definitely you can ask this question and, and it's fascinating how many different answers you get and there is no wrong or right answer to my opinion just it's just uh it's just it's fascinating to how how different answers you get and you expand your knowledge this way you you will see like i interviewed a, a girl the other day my company and i asked her the same question and she mentioned something i never knew there is there is a tool that you can install that does distributed tracing for you and so like yeah she's good <laughs> obviously when i pushed her she didn't know how that tool works which which kind of uh, i ducked her a point of that but that doesn't mean anything obviously doesn't mean she's not qualified right but uh but the idea that she found a solution it does not matter, right? She found a solution to my problem that I asked her. And that's what matters. And uh, yeah, what else? Does blockchain had any use other than financial and security? I know very little about blockchain. And I, I try to criticize this, this technology. But I think I criticize this too immaturely in my opinion. I think it's a, it's a, big, it's a big thing. But I think it's being abused, in my opinion, with Bitcoin. And the way I see Bitcoin and all this, it just hurts my heart that all this compute that we do with mining is just wasted, right? It's just like a lot of people wasting electricity to spin up these mining, right, farms to mine something that is essentially become very valuable because. The, community decided well and this proof of work is we we need something better than that because that that does not scale right it's like i think uh in i, I heard like last time i read it like uh, uh, bitcoin was gonna expire not expire it's gonna deplete in 2140 year right and and there was like i think there was like only how many million uh bitcoin left not much right so you but the the difficulty of mining those bitcoin will just exponentially increase and i'm my fear is people will go nuts and start pushing the technology to start mining and as a result we're going to use more and more power just because more than 50 60 percent of the miners don't end up with anything right because they spend a lot of power and they throw it out of the window and that hurts the environment i know i sound like a tree hugger now but that just doesn't doesn't make sense to me i mean i maybe i don't get money 
Hey, hi, Zane. Are you going to make a video on solo wins? Oh my god, the solo wins is insane, Sabine. Sabine Sayed, thank you so much. But definitely, uh, I need to understand how how that happened because that is the genius be behind solar wind uh, problem, that the breach that happened, and the Orion patching, and the genius of the code written algorithmically uh, generating domains that uh, that just every day, so that and that domain belong to a subdomain that already is legitimate somehow. I don't know how they managed to do that. And the IP address belonged to they pointed to an IP address which belonged to a VPN, which then in the same country that you are in, and that VPN point to the command center in Russia, just so they can avoid the firewalls and the automatic detection systems because if you have a patch and you are in i don't know say florida and you're seeing pings go, go, going to florida ip address and and the domain is also that's okay all good you're not gonna suspect anything oh this is just pointing to a ip address project so maybe there's an update they want to do an update and patch that's good but what they did is they infected the software there's enterprise network management software, I think it's called Orion, and they infected it so it updated itself with the malware as a patch. So it requested a patch, and the patches are being requested from the command and center, which is C2 instance, on Russia. But the way they managed to detect that, they don't hard code the IP address, no, no. They don't hard code a domain, no, no. Right? They generate a subdomain, a C name, that is algorithmically generated every day and the attacker will say okay today is what today is uh today is december 19 so the algorithm is going to generate a domain that starts with a b c dot cloud domain orion.com so it's going to generate that domain they're going to end an entry c name for that date pointing to an ip address that points to an ip address and there's no this is this is the domain for Florida, so we're gonna point to the IP address in Florida. If you're in India, we're gonna point to an IP address in India, VPN, and then that VPN will shovel us to the actual command counter and gives us full control of all the device. And I'm gonna talk about all of that stuff, but the reading, so much stuff. WJ, I am a mid-level engineer. I'm a new subscriber. You have a lot of videos where to start. A good question i always have a lot of videos i have over 500 videos so don't be feel overwhelmed uh don't feel that you have to finish all these videos today <laughs> right take your time start from the backend engineering beginner beginner a uh, playlist there is there is a big beginner playlist called backend engineering beginners watch that list but because i start from the fundamentals and that fundamentals will walk you through different topics and you start asking questions question questions and i'll jump in to answer and the people from the community will jump in to answer to help and then that will form you quickly as you start asking questions you're like, oh oh that okay now i make it now it makes sense and uh, you walk through the intermediate playlist which is longer then you go to the advanced playlist then you start watching random videos like that 
again this is gonna take time so take your time Mshari says I love you too thank you Mshari uh, what are your thoughts about Golang as a backend is it a future uh, Golang is a good language Vishnu Golang is a good language I heard a good thing about it I mean uh, the reason people invent a new language to solve certain problems in existing languages as we evolve we a networking pattern is is very important right and that does not exist built in in most languages networking pattern where i don't know http library http2 library http3 library so google i believe they built go is that right so that they focus on networking as a as a first principle right but that is a very good choice to build backend application with with go especially if this backend talks to other backends um armin Ehsen, loving your content keep up the great work i have a backend coding challenge tomorrow for one company what would you do one day before if you had to prepare for the challenge it's a coding challenge oh my god i mean for the coding challenge you're gonna expect literally anything i mean i failed uh many coding challenges in so I'm probably I'm not the best guy to ask this question, but I would basically not study at all, in my opinion, because like what what are you gonna study that will give you an edge, right? To me, understanding the fundamentals of how backend works, how to establish an HTTP uh, request, how to establish an HTTP two, HTTP three. How to spin up a quick server how to spin up an http server that's that's the most stuff i mean that's the more important thing and once you understand the fundamentals of these things now you ask this question okay how can i build a back and how can i spin up for example a proxy and i configure the proxy and maybe that that's not the question you're gonna get but these are the stuff that you get in the back end right i don't know if they're gonna ask algorithms my god Tough luck with that because you gotta stop memorizing algorithms. Sheesh. I mean, I mean, how long is the? I guess uh, the coding challenge. That's another question. So yeah, best of luck. Uh, let us know how did you do. Is there a connection between RAM and TCP connection? A mm, little bit. A little bit. Uh, the TCP spins up something called a file descriptor, which takes a little bit tiny amount of RAM in memory. Not much though. But HTTP takes a little bit more, right? Because uh, especially HTTP one, which the, which is on top of TCP, so there is the memory of the TCP. There is a memory occupied by HTTP because there is headers coming and there is body comes. That you have to put this body and content somewhere in memory that takes some of your memory right and then you have to release it stuff like that so yeah http 2 takes a little bit more memory and it takes a little bit more cpu as well because http 2 now does more work when it comes to packet when you just get packets with http 1.1 you just you assemble the packet uh, until you make you see a new line hey that's the end of the request 
done with http 2 no there are headers in http 2 that you have to read so you you receive the tcp packets come on come on come on come on come on come on packets 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 and then you say oh wait a second what's this oh this is the end of stream one okay there's a header then you start making sense of this header and then oh this is just packet of stream one so you have to wait for more stuff then oh this is another packet on stream two or i think they call it frame right frame for stream one so oh i have to merge this and this so there's more cpu processing that you have to do to assemble these http packets so so many questions good stuff good stuff how can you study existing complex database quickly ah you're jumping immediately jumping to the complex databases i mean you have to learn the fundamentals first right the fundamentals of a database check out my udemy course about the database engineering and if you don't want to check out i have so many videos members can access these videos as well on my channel i have so many databases videos in general uh, learn about the basics learn about the fundamentals of databases in general and uh, slowly slowly grab uh, more concepts as you need them like the other day there is this thing that's called a common table expression cte right i never knew cte like uh, six months ago right what i learned about it is that, oh this thing is very useful so i started learning about it so to this day i don't know everything the complex uh, databases and all that stuff so so take it easy and slowly stuff which which one do you choose between apache and nginx hmm, apache versus nginx i mean both of them are proxies and both of them are web servers so there is a i guess uh doesn't really matter but nginx is have more features than apache apache was built as a web server i believe right and then became a proxy and like there's like little tools to make it a proxy but i don't think it has as much advanced nginx features when it comes to proxy and load balancing i don't believe that has apache is focused as a as a web server so it depends what, what, what you're trying to do quick over grpc Am I understanding this correctly? Quick is the protocol. GRPC is the carrier framework. So, door to speak. So, I need to ask. Uh, GRPC over quick. Quick over GRPC. Are you saying quick over GRPC or or would you pick quick over GRPC? Well, this this is a very different in my opinion. Right? GRPC is a framework that is a communication protocol that is set on top of http2 that gives you bidirectional low level control and schema full schema based um, objects right on top of protocol buffers which i mean check out my grpc video if you want to learn all about stuff and check out the protocol buffer video so that's grpc so it's, there's so much stuff you can do with grpc quick is the protocol that allows you to multiplex multiple requests on top of udp essentially and uh, it has so much features right compared to so i would compare quick with http2 not much with grpc because grpc has so much features that quick doesn't have like 
protocol buffer, right? Quick is a is a is a transport protocol. gRPC is way application layer, right? So you can't really compare the two. So, so gRPC might be built in the future on top of Quick. I think it will. I hundred percent that people will move gRPC on top of Quick instead of DB2. Hope that helps. Good questions coming. My questions. Kristen says, "Hey, I'm missing your courses on Udemy. What happened? So I uh, removed, I privated, let's say, all my content on Udemy because of Udemy rules that don't make any sense." Uh, don't worry, because this content is now available for free on YouTube. I made the envoy and traffic video available for you on YouTube. You can watch those videos. What you lost on YouTube is the is the first the ad free, right? You Udemy, you purchased it once and you have it, right? And what you lost is other videos that kind of introduces the concept of traffic, right? Or like. What is HTTP? What is WebSocket? What is TCP? I, I talk about this stuff before starting the traffic course. But the problem is I wanted to do this and then move that course. I keep the course for, for, for a little while and then move it as free because I want to as much as possible share this concept because I want to move to something else right? and reach as much people as possible. So I wanted to make the course for free Udemy wouldn't let me. Says, "Hey, this is an eleven-hour course. You cannot make it for free." Says, what? But I want to put it on YouTube, so I have to make it for free. So it says, "Okay, there's no solution for this." Right? So it's very restrictive. And another stupid thing they did with the stupid coupons that you have to have only thirty days and thirty withdrawal with the with the coupon. So it's just so much. I'm so I'm moving short. Long story short. I'm moving my content to some other course. So I'm going to start a new course a platform. Probably I'm going to use an existing one. I don't have time to build an existing one. So I'm going to use an existing one and just build on top of that. That's the story with Udemy. So there's one course left in, in the introduction to database engineering. I might take that course off as well in 2021. What DB technologies that are you look up to in 2021? There are so much DBs. Now, Snowflake, was that DB? I forgot what's the name. Not Snowflake. I forgot what's the name. But essentially, uh, databases, uh, I forgot what it's called. I want to learn Spanner, Google Spanner. I want to read the Dynamo paper and make a video about uh, the Dynamo paper, which 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 obviously came from uh, Amazon DynamoDB, which, which inspired Facebook Cassandra, right? And all this stuff. Nico says, how secure the NPM is? Can you catch security threat on NPM? Yeah, we, well, I made a vid- many videos on NPM. It's very, very fragile. It's a very, very problematic package manager. So people, I think some people comment as like, Good rule of thumb, never download an NPM package that is that is uh that is not at least six months old. That's the because like people sneak in all sorts of garbage 
make uh, make you mine for Bitcoin and not Bitcoin. You cannot mine Bitcoin anymore. What's the other thing? Monero, whatever that thing is. Do you use SQL in graphical databases? Graph, you mean graph-based databases? I think it's a different language. I'm not sure. I saying, I really, Muhammad says, Muhammad Fathi, I really enjoyed your last video on indexing. I didn't quite understand the difference between bitmap and scan and heap scan and indexing. That's a good question. So I also explained that in the in my uh, database uh, engineering course. But let's let's talk about that. So we're almost gonna end the scream. We're gonna scream. <laughs> we're on also gonna end the stream, not scream. All right. We have let's let's talk for ten minutes and then in that scream get a few questions. We're gonna stop in around here yeah, that time. So talk about that a little bit. Index only scan bitmap scan. That's a that's a little bit of uh, Postgres terminology, but I think it's very useful. Let's talk about that a little bit. You have a table. You have a beautiful table here, right? And there is two indexes, two fields on this. Field A, let's say it's integer, and field B, which is also an uh, integer. And there are like, I don't know, 3 million rows in this table. So A, B, table. Now you created an index on top of A field, the field A, right? And then you created another index on top of field B. Now there will be another data structure called A with all the index entries that points nicely to the rows, right? And there will be another index that's called B with all the... Cool. Now, if you say select from test the table where A is equal 7, the Postgres execution planner will look at the filter predicate and say, okay, you want to query field A for the value of 7. It will look at field A and says, oh, A has an index, which is yummy. So it will look at the index column and says, okay, let's query the index here. And it will start scanning the index. Has to scan the index. So it's like, okay, and this is a B3, right? So, so okay, seven. I'm looking for seven. We'll jump to the root of the index, and there is a value of, I don't know, uh, one, right? So, okay, is seven greater than one or less than one? Oh, it's, it's greater than one. So I have to go left. Then you found a value of five. Oh, is 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 seven greater than five or or less than five? Oh, it's greater than five. Let's just jump here. So, based on this tree structure you immediately find the value of seven and then with the that once you find the value seven now you have a pointer to the row in the heap table which we described so this seven value which in index points to the row and you just take that and immediately Oh, one value, right? Just you find one value and just jump it there. And if there's multiple values, it's going to do the same thing. It's going to start compiling these values. But let's say we found one value only. If we, don't, if we found one value, we're done, right? We have one value. That's it. I have to jump back to the row. Let's say row number 301, right? And we jump to 301. We 
to the table itself, we pull that row and all its columns, though I have, let's say I have other columns, and I have access to whatever I need. So that's an, in, it's called an index only scan, right? Not necessarily. This is an index scan. It's called just an index scan. So we scan the index and we jumped back to the heap table to pull the row, right? Sometimes the value will be in the index itself. And I talked about that. And it's called, uh, let's say, if you asked for the same value, that's kind of dumb, but it's going to be an index only scan because the value that you asked for is in the index itself. So you say, okay, I don't need to jump to the table. That's even better. It's called an index only scan. But not, this is not our topic. So I pick that and I jump back to the table and get the row. That's an index scan. So now, if I do the same thing on B, where B equal 8, I'll do the same thing and I find the value and jump back to the table. That's an index scan. Now, if I found multiple values in the index, right? Let's go back to 7. I'm scanning again. The same index a i'm looping looping through the index i found seven and then i continue oh i found another seven so the first seven points to let's say row 301 found another seven oh that's row 601 and then i found another seven row 600 and 901 and so on you start finding a lot of rows what do you do what do you do as a programmer, as a backend G, what would you do in this case? Would you, for example, the first value you found, do you jump to the row, to the table, and do a read? Right? And then go back to the index, scan again, and then go back to do a read? Because you found another 7, right? You have to go back to the row to fetch the whole row. Do you then go scan and then do jump, go back and jump, do back and jump? No, you never do that. That's just... The database might decide to do that if you have like three rows. It's like, okay, I can I can suffer through that. It's not bad, right? Because it's not as bad if you go three times. You, you have to do like three reads, right? So the database sometimes might decide the post, Postgres execution plan will say, wait a second, this is dumb. We're finding a lot of values for this stuff. Wait a second. What should we do? Let's build a bitmap, which is a value, like a like structure, like a a bitwise structure 64 bit and we start build sitting the bits this is going to be all zeros check out my bloom filter video so this this makes well more sense bitwise operating and stuff like that so it's like okay i found 601 what's the value 601 oh boop 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 i said the value 601 all right and then go build another bitmap oh this is another one set the values another one set the values so you start building that structure with all the rows that you need to read. And then once you finish the index, you do one jump to the table and read all these rows. Poof. One read. So you ask the control, hey, give me row 601, uh, 900, and 300. And so it's going to go and pull in multiple pages at the same I.O. So a single I.O. versus multiple ones. So that's a bitmap scan. So the... So that's the version between index scan and then bitmap scan. So technically in bitmap scan, most of the time it is an index. That's why it's called bitmap index scan. So it's built to scan, 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 collect the bitmap, and then do, goes once. This could be a little bit expensive, right? 
especially in in two indexes, right? So the benefits of this is the ability to use multiple indexes. Let's let's take this example. I built a query that says a equals seven and and or even or and b is equal three. So what are we going to do? We can spin up two threads or two processes to query the index A and index B. A looking for value 7 and B looking for value 3. And it started building the, the bitmap. So build your bitmap for A, build your bitmap for B, and then and them, literally just and them. And anything 1 and 0 is going to become 0. If, if, it's, if, there's, if it exists here and doesn't exist here, that's false, right? If it exists here and if it exists here and doesn't exist here, that's false. If it exists here and here, then it exists. That's an and, right? So it's a very, very quick way to build a bitmap. I keep hitting the mic. Build bitmap and then union them, do an and, and then with the value of the resulting result set of the bitmap is what you query the table to fetch. All right. So when I said bitmap scan are slower. I was talking about the ability to combine those two indexes into one index, right? And that's a, uh, the, the essentially the composite index, where we have one, inde one index that contains both A and B. That, in that case, you don't really need to do a bitmap if you have like one or two values, right? With the multiple indexes, you have to do a bitmap. You don't have a choice. Right, because you have to build a bitmap and then add them. Here, you just scan one index and all the values are there. So that's essentially. Hope that helps. Let's sip some coffee. I didn't say what coffee today we had. Today we have a coffee from Colombia, I believe. I, I actually posted in my Instagram. Let me check. Let me check. Was it? What was it? It was San Carlos today's coffee. Obviously not not sponsored, but. I like to show you guys what coffee I drink every week. I have a subscription with this company called Trade. They send me new coffee because I love coffee. If you follow me on Instagram, I try different kind of coffees, beans. So it's Erlum Bourbon, washed. Antigua. From Guatemala, sorry. San Carlos, Guatemala, coffee. Coffee of the week. Welcome, Mahmoud. You're welcome, Mahmoud. Uh, Ahmed Khudair Hussein. I have function that write logs or, uh, error in text file, right? But I do not know what will happen if some error come come at the same time. How will function write in an open file? So when you open a text file, you have the ability to obtain a lock in that file so that other applications cannot try to that only you can so essentially it's a very similar concept to databases like it's an exclusive lock you obtain a lock to the table to the table the file so that nobody else but you can write so i don't understand why would you get an error to write to your own file that you open you shouldn't right unless your application spins up another thread that attempts to write to the same file from a different descriptor right so it's like it treats it as a different file so once you understand how things work it's not really that hard right so that's what happened essentially so find out if your application is spinning up multiple processes and trying to read uh, write the same file 
some 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 locks will prevent people from even to read you you can do that if you have low level control carlos hello my friend how you doing hey folks i need muhammad hello uh muhammad says i got a feeling that you don't like kubernetes oh no really i i don't don't like kubernetes i just I just don't like people using technologies in general that they don't need, right? But Kubernetes is a great tech. I mean, back to the book I just showed you guys, right? There's the Zen of programming. If you treat the design, if you look at these designs, Kubernetes is a beautifully designed software. And you can look at this and, and appreciate the technology and i and i love everything about it i don't know much about it that's my next step is to educate myself about the containing man, container management systems uh c names linux operating system and jump to kubernetes i cannot jump to kubernetes without not understanding how containers work right i just refuse to essentially so i'm mean, i'm on this i don't I, I have all the time in the war i'm just gonna continue learning right just gonna continue just jumping this so that's it's gonna be a process you're gonna start seeing videos about more videos on containers you're gonna start video seeing videos more about kubernetes in the future definitely so yeah i no, i don't hate kubernetes i, I actually i i appreciate the architecture and design behind it it's, it's a beautiful design beautiful application application software how do you think we can deploy real-time backends socket connected without downtime oh, that's a tough question ahmed tough question so without downtime you gotta be really uh regiment when it comes to reconnecting right if, if there's was downtime right is the ability to is is the as clients will no longer be able to be served from the back end right so there could be a machine that just went down or could be the machine can no longer handle the load whether this is a resource resource constraint or a bad design in the application itself so that it does not scale right let's say you every request you make you actually consume a little bit more resources and, and you're doing a lot of synchronous processing that blocks future people from connecting so this this is a very tough question any videos on high level design sure we'll, we'll talk about that you're welcome Ahmed you look sleepy of course i always look sleepy because i wake up today i woke up at 4 30 in the morning did my old routine and stuff like that today's another episode on haiku i watched this anime called haiku the volleyball japanese anime so every saturday they air a new episode so today new episode that's good and guys yeah take time to enjoy yourself and do things that you like, take a break and come back to the problem that you're facing and you'll have more open mind. So I might look a little bit sleepy because I 
Woke up a little bit. Like last, I was like that in the morning. Have you tried Elixir? I have not, Darwin. What are you most important skills? What are the most important skills? Morning says. What are the most important skills you need to manage to become a good backend engineer? Uh, to be to become a better backend engineer, the and I, and any any other type of engineer, in my opinion, is to grasp a handle on the fundamentals of backend engineering. Whether whether these are the networking, the basic networking concepts. The security concepts, communication protocols, proxies, and other stuff as well. So I talked about that in my video. But in general, if you understand the fundamentals, the first principles, any tool that comes on top of that, will you will easily dismantle that tool into its basic first principle it's like proving a mathematical equation right if i said okay prove that um, y is equal uh, i don't know f of x is equal y square minus x square and that is equal to x minus uh, y minus x multiplied by y plus x how do you prove that right there are certain first principle in mathematics yeah, you can go back and prove each one of them and you can go back and prove everything back to the multiplication and addition right at the end once you understand that you can prove anything in the future right and that's the same thing with the backend to become a good backend engineer if i say kafka that's very confusing right but once you understand what kafka does oh it's a it's a pub sub right system essentially right and, and and Kafka do not like the people in Kafka do not like if they you say oh it's, don't, it's not just a pop subsystem we do all the other stuff as well of course because you will be simplifying it too much and and that's kind of unfair but to a nutshell it, it's it's a distributed pop subsystem right so you you have a publisher and consumer and then you publish content to this cluster and there's a consumer that consumes and then once you understand that you will have more questions because now the next stuff is the next step is what how does the consumer actually consumes because a good back engineer will actually ask these questions oh what well, how does kafka consume compared to rabbitmq and that becomes really powerful because now you start comparing technologies but but if you don't understand what kafka is how the heck are you going to compare it to RabbitMQ or or ZeroMQ? It's impossible because you don't understand how it works. So once we break down, you shake the architecture to its knees, you can understand everything. Right? And you start not only understanding, you start criticizing. English day, mercy. Criticizing. God damn it, I can't pronounce this yet. Criticizing. Criticizing. I sorry. English not good, my friends. What to do? My English very weak. Yes. My uh, my Russian is way better than my English. But my English is getting better with time. So I will get better, swear. 
definitely will good what i was talking about yeah so you will start criticizing the technology itself and that is badass if you get if you can get to uh a point where you criticize and get and 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 you improve the technology itself man that is so powerful that's so powerful because now it says okay why would kafka use long polling in their consumer versus uh rabbitmq where you use the push and you can start asking what is push what is long polling? you start understanding this thing and you start comparing same thing with the postgres once you know how postgres uh indexing works compared to mysql you will have full understanding to pick one technology over the other based again on your use case there is no bad or good here everything can be really linked together Ziz then is a man of class he has hydro flask <laughs> that doesn't make me a man of class video is not sponsored by hydroflex by the way jesus i gotta say that every time that's just dumb all right solo wind hack explained i i i, I kind of did but uh I'll, I'll make a video about it it's it's a it's a badass those people man what other languages do you speak hassan carlos says uh my main tongue is arabic uh my mom's tongue Persian. Well, she was born Bahrain, but she speaks Persian. She didn't teach us Persian or Farsi much, but I understand Farsi a little bit. And uh, I, I obviously we have to learn English when we are young. And I speak little tiny, tiny French from school and university. And I'm interested in, in Japanese, so because I watch anime, so uh Nihongo Nihongo ga sukuchi wakarimasu. Not not wakarimasu. Nihongo ga sukuchi hanashimasu. Why Microsoft backend is all .net, why not Java or Go? I mean they built .net. They so then deep they will use the .net. But I think internally they use all this stuff. Like between themselves like they there are engineers that just use this. Persian means Iran, yes. The Persian language is uh, the Iranian language. I think Persian is related to Ma Macedonia. Yeah, of course. I, I don't know the history. Yerma, you're giving me history lesson. I don't know. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, Hazem, please make a video on what happens when you Google search from DNS. Hey, I did that. Tuapita. Let's, 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 let's give you that. So what happened when you actually go to google.com and you hit enter? So you literally go to YouTube and say, what happens when you search Google and the fourth result is mine video. And I want you guys to go and give it some love. So it get pushed in the algorithm. Copio, pesto this. 
copy paste to this Hamar Sharif is in town my friend how are you doing thank you so much so guys if you don't know Muhammad Sharif he's the one who encouraged me to do live streaming so he had me on his podcast back in October uh, October 1st October 3rd of this year and he said dude you should really sh- you should really do a part uh, uh, a live stream and I was so scared because I don't know how to work this thing off and how to work and he showed me how and he's just like don't worry just do it it's so much fun and you can have fun with some people for a couple of hours and people really appreciate it so he really pushed me to do it and this is our 10th live stream so thank you to muhammad so follow muhammad for uh, he is he is a security engineer in okta so any security question i go to him any authentication question all this stuff i go to him i don't know anything about security but he's the guru security guru so yeah so what i just pasted is the google what happened when you go to google.com and hit enter exactly exactly in details and and, and most of the comments and the and that videos that are just people trolling me so it's like you need 40 minutes to explain that really it's just go to google and hit enter you don't you can explain that in four minutes it's like really well i i talk 40 minutes because i suck i'm sorry okay you are great thanks for all the content alberto thank you greeting from spain welcome to the channel Glad you like the content. Appreciate you guys. This is good. Guys, by the way, would you would you be interested if I stream everywhere? Like the uh, use the StreamYard tool to stream like on Twitter and 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 and, and Twitch and everywhere? Or or do you prefer just YouTube? Right? Because I, I I don't I'm not sure about that thing. I, I like to kind of build a t- community. Right? Oh, are we stuck? No, we're not stuck. Oh, that was, that was cool. So, yeah. I'd like to build a community and then like a closed community with the YouTube people. So, that's why I like to stream like on one location. But if you prefer on other location, let me know. Love your in-detail content. Also, greeting in Germany. I love this community. I love that we have people from Germany. You know... I still have memory from Germany because I went to Germany when I was four years old and I still remember uh, I'm going to say streaming all things. <laughs> YouTube so I stream on Twitter. So yeah, I, so I went to Germany uh, I believe uh, how do you send this thing? I, I, when I was like four or maybe six years old. Like my dad was uh, studying there, and he took us there. So it was like we were kids, and I still have memories of Germany, which is so funny. I say there are certain smells that reminds me of that area, right? Like the smell of uh, uh, those. Like we have, we lived in a mountainous area, so the smell of the grass. If I smell grass on the ground, I remember Germany, which is so funny. So beautiful, beautiful country. Wish I can go back. So Muhammad Sharif works on Okta, yes. You know, guys, Okta, Okta. The authentication. All right, guys, I think we're going to end the stream today. Uh, we'll be streaming for two hours. So 
let me know if you love this stuff. Uh, we're going to continue this theme of uh, the Q&A. Sounds great. Great. This. Very, very. I love this. And as I promised you guys, there are so many videos I need to make. First of all, I need to continue the report on uh, continue the report on Google. What happened to the Google outage? Right, because Google outage was was a complete disaster. It was a disaster. It was was so bad, so bad that it stopped for forty minutes. Right. So we need we need to know what was the main source of that. And they finally published the report, the detailed incidents of what exactly um, uh, what exactly uh, happened there. So as I was a Kota management side of things, so I'm reading that. I'm gonna make a video of that. There is the solar wind disaster. It's a huge disaster, right? And uh, we're going to talk about that as well. So, upcoming videos. So it's going to take me a couple of weeks. There might not be videos in the weekend. There might not be videos on Monday. So because I'm going to be focused full on on making these videos. So, it's going to take me so. So, I apologize that there won't be no new videos this coming two days. But, we have 500 videos to watch. So, I don't think there's shortage of shortage of content. So, take your time. And, guys... That's it for us today. That's in the stream here. And uh, guys, yes, I want I just want you to stay awesome. Keep on going. Yeah. Make sure to take time to kind of rewind. Right? You're like especially when you're coding, that's just like the most processing you. There is a lot of work. Max and Take time for yourself. Enjoy what you're doing. Do the thing that you like more. Then you're going to come back to the bug, to the design problem, to the back-end challenge with a fresh set of to look at them. All right, guys. Zay, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, everybody of you. Great questions, as usual. And... Uh, Let's see what should we title this stream. We talked about so much stuff. <laughs> I wonder what we, I'm gonna think about the title. We t we talked about so many other things, right? Aman, thank you so much, guys. Aman says big fan. Thank you, appreciate you, and uh, I'm gonna see you on the next one, guys. You guys stay awesome. Goodbye, and have a great, fantastic weekend, and keep those great. Beautiful questions coming. Goodbye.